If you will, open up with me to Psalm 63 tonight. Come on. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I, uh, if I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is Daniel, and I have the privilege of working with college students here at our church. And I have the privilege of partnering with Steve, and I want to say thank you to Steve for allowing me to come and speak to you tonight, a message that is very, very near and dear to my heart from God's Word. And uh, I have prayed a big prayer for each of you tonight that you will have a takeaway from the Lord that will impact your walk with Him this week. Um, as you get ready to finish up school, as you get ready to head into the summer, this is a message that's very, very close to my heart. Um, it comes from two parts in the Bible. And so if you will, go ahead and mark Psalm 63. But then you're going to know this verse. You're going to recognize this verse. It's the second main text tonight, and it's Isaiah 41. There's one verse in that that I love. It's Isaiah 41.10, and we're going to look at it in a minute. And I hope that you're taking notes, maybe digitally, maybe on your phone, maybe you have a journal. If you are, I have a few things I want you to write down. So if you're taking notes, go ahead and do me a favor. Write this down at the top of your notes or your iPad or your iPhone. Write this at the top for me. The title tonight is God's Right Hand. The title of this message is God's Right Hand. It's very simple. It's very practical, but very powerful and very deep. And the reason that this message is so near and dear to my heart is because when you look at God's right hand in Scripture, there are a lot of things that His right hand symbolizes. This past March, I turned 29 years old. This is my last year. I know that's old, ain't it? I'm telling you, I'm getting up there. It's the last year of my 20s. So next year is 30s for me to rest of the way. I'll never have the 20s again. And as I have gotten older and hopefully tried to mature a little bit, I have become more and more grateful for God's right hand. And tonight, I'm going to give you three, almost four, things that God's right hand symbolizes that can change your day-to-day walk with him. You see, with our hands, we communicate a lot of things. And I'm going to talk about that tonight. But for me, I love when I'm able to hold my wife's hand. Some of y'all have a boo. You understand that. I love getting to hold my wife's hand. But two other things I thought about. When I was a kid growing up, I would love whenever my dad would put his hand on my shoulder. I hope that you have a mentor, a parent, a coach, somebody who talks to you. And when they encourage you, they put their hand on your shoulder. And one thing I love about my mom, my mom's a big hugger. My mom will hug anybody. She'll hug random strangers in the line at Kroger. She'll just give them a hug and say, hope you're doing well. And they're like, okay, this is creepy, but they keep going about it. <laughs> but I love when my mom gives me a hug because she always does this. She's done it since I was little. She pats you know, some people, they pat. She pats my back when she's giving me a hug. And it's the sweetest thing. And it's this tiny thing, but it symbolizes love. There's so much love we communicate simply through our hands. In fact, there's a moment in the New Testament that you're probably familiar with, with Peter and Jesus. Do you remember when they, the disciples are on the boat and they're at sea and a storm hits? And Jesus comes what? He comes walking to them on the water, right? Here's that text. I'll show you this before we get into our main text. It's this moment in Matthew chapter 14. Look at the screen, if you will. It says this in Matthew 14, verse 27. It says, immediately Jesus spoke to them, have courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter answered him. This is in the middle of the storm. Peter says, command me to come to you on the water. You remember this moment. It's a huge moment. Jesus said, come. Climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. Now, here's the famous moment, right? We talk about this with with Peter. His eyes are on Jesus. He's doing good. And then what happens? His eyes shift to the storm. And what does Peter do? He starts to think. Here's what it says. Listen to this carefully. When he saw the strength of the wind, 
He was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Matthew 14, verse 31 says, immediately Jesus reached out his hand. Then it says, caught a hold of him. And then scripture goes on to say, said to him, you have little faith, why did you doubt? I think about the moments in Jesus' ministry when he touched those who had leprosy and healed him. I think about the moments in Jesus' ministry when he touched the blind man's eyes and the blind man could see for the first time. And the first time he saw was the literal physical face of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine, Landrum, the, the moment of being the first thing you would see, the face of Jesus but what's amazing, though, before we get to the New Testament with Jesus and the people that he impacted, Scripture talks about God's right hand. Now, look with me, if you will. Let's look at Psalm 63, and I want to give you a few practical things to take away tonight. Because I believe that we currently are living in, statistically, one of the loneliest generations that you can find. Even though we are all connected digitally, we are lonely. We struggle with depression. We struggle with anxiety. The numbers are sky high. What's crazy about Gen Z and even many millennials, my generation, is we've replaced a lot of physical connection with digital connection. We got everybody on Snapchat. We got everybody on Be Real. We see what everybody's doing all the time, but we lack that actual real connection. And that's why I believe this message is so important because at our core, what your soul and what my soul wants is connection. Not just with each other, but ultimately with our Lord and Savior, with Jesus Christ. To feel connected to God. That if there really is a God, and we can know him in a deep way, then why as believers do we oftentimes feel far from God? God's not far from you. But a lot of our actions that we take make us feel far from him. So in Psalm 63, we find David. He's on the run in the wilderness of Judah. He's being pursued and hunted by King Saul. And this is what he says. Look with me, if you will, Psalm 63. Verse 1, David says, God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. So I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. So I will bless you as long as I live. At your name, I will lift up my hands. Verse 5, you satisfy me as with rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. And then verse 6 is very fascinating of what David says here. He says, when I think of you as I lay on my bed, I meditate on you during the night watches. You know why I believe David highlights waking up and going to sleep? Because that's two of the biggest opportunities the enemy tries to get at you and tempt you into giving into sin. Is it not? Let's be real and let's be honest. I've seen what Steve has preached the last four weeks. Steve has been very real and very honest in his sermons, very raw. Well, when we wake up in the morning, we have full connection to everything in the world. And when we go to sleep at night, we have all the opportunity to worry and stress and regret over the day that we just had. I believe David highlights this, meditating on the Lord in his bed as the night watches, as the sun rises. Because the enemy is looking to attack you as soon as your eyes open. And many of you in this room, if I can be honest, you begin your day in sin. Let's be real, let's be honest. It's hard to live for the Lord at noon when we start our day off with sin. What is that sin, Daniel? It's waking up with anxiety and letting it rule over us, right? Beginning our day anxious, beginning our day fearful. I go through it, I know you do too. It's waking up in images 
of comparison and lust on our phone immediately waging war against us. Or it's closing our day out with sin and regret and fear. When you wake up and when you go to bed, is there a stronghold that the enemy may have? Because I believe how you wake up and how you start your day will impact the rest of your day completely. That's why we meditate on the Lord as the sun rises. See, some of you guys, if I can be very honest with you, if you would focus on giving God your morning and giving God that time as you go to bed at night, you would see a drastic change in everything in between. It's not rocket science, but our flesh makes it that difficult. I'm telling you, God is not far from you. David goes on to say this in verse 7. He says, I meditate on you during the night watches. Why? Because you are my helper. I will rejoice in the shadow of your wings. And then verse 8. I follow close to you. Your right hand holds on to me. Now, if you know Isaiah 41.10, you know it's a life verse. And it says this. Do not fear, for I am with you. Don't be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. And I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So number one, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. What does God's right hand symbolize in Scripture? Well, number one, God's right hand offers protection. Number one, God's right hand offers protection. And then as you're writing that, if you will, put a parenthesis. And in all capital letters, I want you to write SHIELD. God's right hand in Scripture, when you see his right hand mentioned, it often represents a shield of protection. See, you and I, as we go through our day, we communicate with people all the time through our hands. In fact, your hands are a great blessing. There are people in our world who have gone through many things in their life and don't have full access of their hands. Just being able to grip, just being able to write and text and pick up a phone and call or throw a football or play spike ball or all the things that we do with our hands are blessings. But I want to tell you tonight, high school students, God's right hand is an even greater blessing than your own because God is offering you protection in your life. He is offering you to be a shield that you don't have to shield yourself through the trouble that you go through, that there is protection in God's right hand. The question is, what is a high school student a high school senior, a high school junior, sophomore, freshman, what do you need protection from in America in 2023? We don't walk outside and immediately receive persecution for our faith. That's not the culture that we live in right now. We don't know what America will come to be, but as, college, as a college pastor, I can go to University of Memphis campus tomorrow, turn on worship music, worship the Lord. I will get funny looks. I will get people avoid me, but nobody is going to come up and persecute me nine times out of ten. So what protection are we looking for? I tell you, man, even with college and high school students, I hear believers make jokes about spiritual warfare. Do you? Do you ever, I remember I heard somebody whose food took too long to come to the table at a restaurant. He said, man, that's the work of the enemy. He doesn't want me to have a hot meal. (laughs) I heard somebody say, man, I, I hit every red light on the way to work. The enemy just didn't want me to get there on time. And I was like, is that really the enemy at work? You think the enemy cares about the red lights? Or was it your poor planning to get up on time and make it to Chick-fil-A for your shift? (laughs) Right? Is it the enemy really working against you? Or as somebody who's late sometimes, it's poor planning. But what do we do? We say that's the work of the enemy. It's the work of the enemy. 
When we get an amazing parking spot at, a, at an event, I heard somebody, he started singing, you're a good, good father. It's who you are. As if God parted the sea of cars to give you the best parking spot. I mean, seriously, like, right? Honestly, if we all do it, we make light of the evil one. Like, he's a cartoon character. And then we kind of throw God's name whenever we want to throw it around. But high school students, listen, you are in a spiritual battle. Four weeks ago, your pastor talked to you in this room about strongholds of the enemy from Ephesians chapter 4. In that chapter, it talks about how we are supposed to put away the works of the flesh and cling to that which is holy, to die to sinfulness and live for righteousness. In fact, some of those verses he covered that night say this. This is Ephesians 4, verse 31 and 32, when it talks about the way we should live. Paul says, let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you, along with all malice and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God has also forgave you in Christ. It talks about how we should live. You know why? Because there's an enemy who wants you to live for his works and not God's works. That's why if you fast forward two chapters to Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says this, Be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. Spiritual warfare is not a joke. And as young 16, 17, 18 year old future leaders, leaders currently right now, especially in the church, disciple makers in the church, your praise to the Lord is like nails on a chalkboard to the enemy. It is not a joke. He hates any worship or acts of service you offer up to Jesus. In fact, he hates anything you do to draw near to God. See, you and I are in a battle. He hates the idea of you laying aside malice and bitterness. Why? Because he wants believers to not forgive. As Steve talked about three weeks ago, he wants believers to not forgive, but to stay in conflict with one another. Because when we're in conflict with one another and we got gossip and bitterness and slander toward each other, when we got ungodly comparison with each other, we can't worship the Lord because we're too busy throwing stones at each other. It's hard to direct your eyes up to the Lord and give him praise when your eyes are directed at how much better you are than everybody else around you. See, the enemy is attacking you and many of you are losing as I have in my life. And doesn't it, doesn't it just feel awful? When you hear the truths in church that we are called to walk, what, from victory, not for victory, but we hear that and we say, I don't know where my victory is because I feel like I keep losing. Here's what you must do, high school students. You must go to God for your protection. You cannot protect yourself. If it is you and the enemy squaring off, if it's me and the enemy squaring off, I don't have a chance. But when you have Jesus Christ, when you are tapping into the power of the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in your body, there is no temptation that is uncommon to man that you cannot overcome. None. That's how he uses a shield. He protects you with his hands. I remember me and my dad when we were little. My dad is not a sports fan in any way. Right? He loved cars growing up. He loved music. He just really didn't get into sports. But I grew up a Grizzlies fan. Like, I went to the Pyramid, I went to all the games, like, I watched every single Grizzlies game when we were trash, <laughs> you know, this is before the grit and grind era, I went to every single game, 
And because I was a fan, my dad got into it. He started watching the Grizzlies. And I'll never forget, we went to the FedEx Forum one night. It was probably 2006, 2007. The Forum was new. And when you come out of the game, it's about 9.30. It's about 9.45 at night. And you're downtown in Memphis. And I remember walking out of the stadium. I was about yay tall. And we were walking out. We were trying to find our car. We had parked far away. We, we didn't have the parking pass. We had to park in like a, a random parking lot for Piggly Wiggly, 30 minutes from the form. And we were walking. It's cold outside. It was January. And I remember this man. Like, you know how you have stories or moments with your kids? You remember like random details? I remember this man. He was loud. He was tall. And he smelled really badly. <laughs> I can't forget it. And so I'm walking. It's me right here. My dad right here on a sidewalk. And the man's right here. He's to my left. And we're walking. And now I'm eight, nine, ten years old. I get scared. Because this guy's being loud, he's being obnoxious, he's probably been drinking. That what I was smelling as a kid was him being drunk. The alcohol on his breath had traveled five feet to reach me, and as a kid I could smell it, and it set me off, and I was scared, and I was nervous to death. And I remember this moment, because it's so simple, it's not a crazy illustration. My dad didn't <laughs> turn into Iron Man. <laughs> that would have been cool, it would have been awesome to be a better illustration. This is all my dad had to do. He took out his hand that looked massive to me. And he goes just like this. He puts it in front of me and he slides me on the other side of him. And in this moment, what my dad has done, my father has put himself in between me and the problem I'm scared of. And as an eight, nine, 10 year old kid, I cannot tell you how the fear went away. Because when your dad steps in, you know how it is as a kid. Your dad is your superhero. Whoever your mentor is, your mom, they're a superhero. When they step in between you and your problem, all of a sudden your problem don't look so big. But here's the deal. For me to stop being afraid of what was in front of me, I had to get behind the shield and the protection that was offered to me. See, here's what God is offering to you. When it says his right hand, all the troubles and the worries that you face in your life... God reaches out his hand and moves you in between him and the problem. And that is where you lie within his righteous right hand. That means when somebody says something bad about you, if you are protected in God's right hand, it does not matter what man can say because man cannot penetrate the soul. God protects the soul. That means whatever enemy, whatever the attack of the enemy is towards you, you have a way of escape because you have God's right hand in between you and the problem. But it takes humility. Like, it takes humbling yourself. Because as an eight-year-old, if I pick up a rock and start running towards that man, I'm going to lose. I'm not tall enough to reach his head. When I trust dad, when I trust pops, when I trust the one who has been always protecting me and will continue to protect me, my problems begin to fade. Are you behind the shield that God is offering you? Practically, how do you get behind that shield? That means you're in God's word. You're a believer who prays. You're a believer who clings to godly community, not just Christian community, but godly community that is willing to call you out and make you better. That is how you know you are a believer that is living in the protection of the Lord. But not only that, not only does God's right hand shield you. Number two, if you'll write this down, I hope that you will. God's right hand offers provision. God's right hand offers provision. 
So we have God's right hand laid out in Scripture as a shield for us. He protects us. He holds on to us and tells us not to fear in the midst of that. But number two, God's right hand offers provision. And I love to illustrate this through pointing and providing. I know everybody in here has signed up for Beach Week. But I love about Beach Week, whenever you run out for wreck on the beach, everybody does the same thing. What do they start doing? When you run out onto the beach for wreck, everybody starts pointing. Why? Team flag over here. Team flag over there. Is that people start yelling? You got people who hadn't said a word all year and then be like, we're over here. Like, Man, this kid right here, he's serious about it. What happens in between the wreck games? Everybody starts looking at Katie Mosier, and Katie Mosier's like, oh, you guys are over here. And then boom, everybody listens. <laughs> Gone. We point. We guide people with our hands. We direct them in the way they should go. I remember when I was a coach at Barlow High School, we had a play that we would always run only in the fourth quarter. It was called Fist Two. Fist Two. It was a backdoor play. Got the team every time. We'd run it at the start of the fourth quarter. The coach would pick up on the call tag. He knew it was Fist Two. So he would tell his team, hey, Fist Two is a backdoor play. So we'd have backup, backup call sign. So instead of calling it Fist Two, we'd run it again the very next play. And we'd say, thumbs down. They had no idea it was coming. Backdoor play. Four points on the board, start the fourth quarter off. It worked 90% of the time. Folks could not pick up on it. And what was amazing is I would just hold it up. Fist two. And five guys on the court would come together, run to play perfectly with a 90% success rate. See, what I love about God's right hand is that in Scripture it tells us God will be the voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it, whenever you turn what? To the right or to the left. See, God is offering you direction. Some of you are trying to figure out classes. Some of you have family members that don't know Jesus. Right? Some of you, you are the representation of Jesus in your family. And you really want to know how to minister to the rest of your family. God said he will be the voice behind you saying, this is the way walking it when you turn to the right or the left. That when we look at scripture, we see impressions from the Holy Spirit on people's heart. In fact, Paul talks about this. I want to show you Galatians 5, 25, and then I'll show you John 16. Paul says this in Galatians 5, verse 25. He says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Literally, that the Spirit will point us in the way to go. And then Jesus, in the gospel of John, refers to the Holy Spirit as a counselor and a helper. He says in John 16, verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will speak not on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. And he will declare to you that which is to come. That as you live in this, you receive direction on where to go that God's right hand is offering you direction on your decision-making, where to get a job, how to love your siblings, how to love your neighbor, how to love your classmates, how to love your coworkers. Some of you are deciding on colleges next year and the years to come. God is offering you direction. Do you listen? See, I always tell our college students that a believer that isn't living in God's word is a believer that isn't listening for God's voice. Those of us who do not choose to live in this are choosing to guide ourselves on our own path. What do you need in your life to be directed on? So we have shield, 
We appoint. He guides us. Let me give you one more. He provides. That word about provision means that you are pointing and you are providing. Some of you guys have real issues in your life when it comes to friendships. Boy, you got friendship drama. You got people that talk bad about you. You got people that betray you. You got friendships that go wrong. And that weighs on you. And you are needing the Lord to come through and provide for you. Provide what? Clarity and wisdom. Because if you're going to bear with one another and forgive one another and live the way Christ has called you to live with each other, you need the direction of the Holy Spirit to do that. Are you seeking that in God's word? Because he will provide it. He will not cut you short. Me and my wife, Hannah, we're coming back from a friend's house one night. Boom, driving back from Oakland. Car hits a pothole in the road. There's so many potholes in Memphis. It's just ridiculous. You can't drive nowhere without popping a tire in the city. And we've been having car trouble the whole year. And we hit this pothole. Boom. Car starts sounding bad. And then we say, oh, no, we're about to have car trouble again. We pull the car over, and we realize we've had major car trouble. We were leaving a friend's house. And I kid you not, this is a crazy story. I've shared it with our college students before. As I was leaving one of our friend's house, as a family member here at Bellevue, we were leaving. They hand me an envelope. They give me an envelope. I say, thank you for this. They say, it's just a card. I say, perfect. I put it in my pocket. I don't think anything of it. We get in the car. We're driving home. We hit this pothole. Me and Hannah are discouraged. We come home. We park the car. We pull inside, we go inside, and we start talking about the damage that's done to this car. And what's crazy is me and Hannah are sitting there talking about it at the table. We're like, man, we've had to pay these expenses on our car to get this fixed. We've had to pay these expenses on our car to get this fixed. And listen, growing up for me, we didn't just have money growing on trees. We had to work for money. We had to find. Sometimes we needed the Lord to provide for us. Amen. Like we needed the Lord to come through. And me and Hannah were sitting there talking about this. Like, man, we need, and she says this. It was Hannah. She goes, man, we're going to need blank to fix this. And I'm like, yeah, we are. And I go, man, this is, this is going to be tough. And I reach my hand in my pocket, and I feel that letter. And I'm telling you, it's a crazy moment how the God moves because it's the smallest things. I pull out the letter, and the family that gave us this letter gave it to us before we ever left the house. They didn't know we had car trouble. They didn't know anything about our lives. They just gave us a letter. And I open up the letter in our kitchen. And I kid you not, as I open it up, not 10 seconds after Hannah says the amount of money we're going to need to fix it, in this letter is the exact amount of money she just said. The exact amount of money to fix this car. And I'm standing there thinking to myself, did this family cause car trouble to us and then give us this gift <laughs> to look like the best family ever? <laughs> I was like, I was like uh, do, are they angels? You know, I'm like, how do they know? And I'm sitting here, I'm starting to connect the dots, right? Me and Hannah, we're not, we're not looking for clothes. We're not praying for our next meal, right? Like, we're blessed. Y'all are blessed. Like, we, we don't have to worry about those things. But when life breaks down, when you have a family member in the hospital, when your car breaks down for the fifth time that year, when you have payments you have to make, sometimes you pray for the Lord to provide. And what's crazy is, as I opened that letter and saw the exact amount she had just said, that means the Holy Spirit had impressed on this family to give us a gift before we ever even knew we needed the gift. And they obeyed, and praise God, because it helped us. And students, what I want you to see is God is doing that in your life, and eight times out of ten, you don't even see the blessings you get from stuff like that. He just comes through. One of the greatest truths about God providing, right, we got a shield, 
He protects us. We have a point. He guides us. But one of the greatest things about him providing is that God will meet needs oftentimes before you even know you need them. You say, Daniel, is that true? Absolutely, because Christ died on the cross for your sins before you ever even knew you needed him to. Christ came down to this earth and shed his blood before you and me even knew that we needed a Savior. Before we were born and before we came to the point in our lives where we had to repent of our sin and trust in Jesus as our Savior, he provided what we needed. So where are you right, right now? What do you need in your life and are you going to God for it? Are you protected from the evil one? Are you behind the shield of God? Are you walking your own path or are you trusting the direction he is pointing you in? Is there a need you have physically, emotionally, mentally that you need him to provide and hand to you? Are you praying to him for that? And the last thing, I love it, is number three. God's right hand represents promises. God's right hand represents promises. Isaiah 41.10 says, fear not, for I am with you. Don't be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my right hand. As you look in scripture, God's right hand gives you incredible promises. Let me give you a few to take home right now. Paul says this in Philippians 4, verse 19, if you want to write this reference down. He says, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's Philippians 4, 19. Psalm 32, verse 8. A verse I read the night I gave my life to the Lord at a public park at midnight when I was 21 years old in college at the University of Memphis. I read this verse, Psalm 32, verse 8. It says, I will instruct you and show you the way to go. With my eye on you, I will give you counsel. Psalm 32, verse 8. Let me give you a promise straight from the mouth of Jesus in the gospel of Matthew, for those who are here tonight and you're tired and you're in shame and you're struggling with depression and you need rest in this busy season, Jesus says in Matthew 11, verse 28, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Let me give you 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, another promise from Peter. He says this, he himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. See, I love the promises because I've known Dakota, who carried this table up here for 11 years. And as long as I've known him, as long as we've had this friendship, we've had this handshake. And we've done this handshake for 11 years. And every single time we do this handshake, it, it's simple, but it represents the friendship, the bond, the loyalty, the commitment to being boys every single time we do it. And what I love about your hand is when you shake and you make a deal with somebody, you make a promise. High school students, God has made promises to you. And here's what's amazing. As you and I break promises as we fall short even when we are faithless God remains faithful he has made a deal he has made a promise if you know Jesus as your savior 
Do you rejoice in the gospel that has not changed for 2,000 years? That when you repent and when you trust in him, there is a promise that he does not break because his right hand has shook on it. And it's this, Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you have that? Man, because some of you, for real, don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. I'm going to give you an invitation in a minute. But for you believers in the room, do you actively live within the right hand of God? Here's your takeaway questions. Are you shielded by his right hand? Is he the one who protects you? Or are you trying to protect yourself? Does he point? Do you follow? When he says go, you go. When he says go to London, you go to London. When he says go to Peru, you go to Peru. When he says go to downtown Memphis, you go to downtown Memphis. Do you go where he points? When you have a need, do you accept what he is offering to you to provide for you? And then the final thing, do you trust the promises of God in scripture? Is that the foundation of your faith? I got one final verse for you before I give you an invitation on the right hand of God. It says this about where Jesus is right now. It's an amazing text. That out of all places Jesus could be, in heaven and on earth, that right now where Jesus is, it says this in Mark 16, verse 19. It says, so the Lord Jesus, after speaking to them, was taken up into heaven and set down at the right hand of God. If that's where Jesus is, that's where I want to be, in the right hand of God.